0: So we've been spending the last two or three weeks, this is the third week, uh, on a Scattered Servants series. So we're talking about uh, not just conforming to, I suppose, a stereotype of Christians in church. We're talking about how we've been focusing on, instead of just focusing on Christians in church, following Jesus out into our communities, because that's where he already is and working. And looking for people who are open to God and in whom He is working, um, and always being ready and being intentional about uh, discipling people, praying for them, and bringing life to people. And many of us are doing this already. Many of us are living this life uh, very much so, and um, and many of us can and can learn from them. Uh, and and others of us are just taking our first steps out into thinking about these ideas and then and uh, beginning to do this more. And I I say I would I would consider myself probably in the latter category, <laughs> just trying to figure out what that looks like for me and the metaphor uh, that Paul used last week, and I'd encourage you, if you haven't heard uh, Paul's talk last week, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff in that talk. Uh, do go and listen to that one again if you'd like to, because there's a lot of good stuff in there. And um, I'm going to spend a little bit of time today really just uh, unpacking some of the ideas that were shared last week, and then looking at uh, Jesus' life specifically, and how he lived this out. So, so drawing examples from Jesus' life, and unpacking those to, to try and figure out how we can actually do this stuff. Uh, The metaphor that Paul used yesterday, uh, sorry, not yesterday, last week, uh, was one of salt. Uh, And the fact that salt in one place is not a very nice thing, uh, if you remember. So uh, in the same way that we try not to dump salt all on one area of our food and then attempt to eat it, uh, it's good to scatter the salt throughout the food. In the same way, uh, as Christians, if we all huddle up in church all the time, uh, we're not very effective. And it's important that we uh, intentionally live our lives uh, scattered out into the community. Now, one thing I do want to say, and I'm going to unpack a little bit more before I start, uh, some of you um, may be feeling that when we're talking about living our lives intentionally, being strategic, thinking about how we can impact our communities, we are not attempting to force everybody to convert to our way of thinking or our religion. Okay, That's one thing I want to say initially at the outset. Uh, it is our intention to intentionally introduce as many people as we can to Jesus. Okay? Now, the relationship that they end up having with him is entirely up to them. Does that make sense? So our, so our aim is to be intentional and, dare I say it, strategic about allowing people to, to meet Jesus. Okay? Whether they continue on with that relationship is really up to them. Okay? and it's, it's ultimately their choice. Um, so, so, the idea is to be intentional and be strategic, but we 're not forcing people or brainwashing them or trying to convert them. Does that make sense? Okay, God will do his work and, and, and he will he is the one who draws we are the one who introduces um, and those of us who are trying to follow Jesus are trying simply to live our lives the way that Jesus lived it and tried and taught us how to live it okay so and that does actually mean being intentional and being strategic because he was intentional and he was strategic about the the way he lived his life. So let's have a little bit of a look at his life and look at some of these ideas that we've been talking about in that context. Um, so the title of this talk is Jesus the Scattered Servant. I don't have one particular passage for us today. Um, I'm going to look at a number of different stories, uh, some sometimes quite incidental details of, of Jesus' life to kind of look through all of the different accounts of his life and, and try and work out, okay, what... What was he trying to do? How was he trying to live his life? Okay, how was he conducting himself? And who was, he, who was he speaking to? Who was he maybe not speaking to? And that kind of thing. So we're going to look at uh, four different aspects of Jesus' life and how they uh, can influence us as we're trying to live this stuff out. Okay, so the first thing uh, that uh, we notice about Jesus' life of faith primarily is that Jesus was not principally uh, living his life in the church Um, or in the synagogue, in the religious place of worship at those times. Um, He lived his life in the community. Okay, so uh, if you look at uh, where Jesus did most of his teaching, what was he saying and what was he doing? Um, And uh, if you look, you can see that Jesus spent lots of time teaching at synagogues. Um, he spent uh, lots of time there. He, it was his practice and custom to go to synagogue every Sunday. Um, however, if you look at where he did his work and where he lived out his life, very little of that was actually in a church setting or in a religious setting. Okay, So I, I put this slide up a year ago, uh, so of course all of you will remember it perfectly. Um, but um, just in case you don't, uh, the, um, the, uh, I did a little bit of research uh, a year ago and I looked at all of the different, unique healings that Jesus did in his whole ministry, okay? And uh, where we can be sure of the place. There were others, but we didn't. it wasn't quite clear as to where they happened, okay? So where it says specifically where those things took place, I went through them. There are 24 individual cases where it was very explicit about that place. And, um, and this is where they happened, okay? So you can see from this list that... Um, Most of them, in fact, over half of them, were actually in the street, which is quite interesting. Um, There are three or four, I think, that were in the synagogue, and they were mostly reactive, like some guy would start screaming and shouting, and Jesus would just stop it happening. Um, A couple of them happened in the home. There was one while being arrested, uh, one in a hospital. But really, most of them happened when he was in the middle of something else. Often, he would be going to do something, and someone would grab him. Does that make sense? And he would go and do that. Or uh, he would be interrupted, or he was trying to tell a story and somebody would come along and he would just do that and then go on. Do you see what I mean? So it tended to happen when he was travelling somewhere or going somewhere else. Um, If you look at his miracles, uh, which is the next one, uh, so specific kind of works that he did of power. So... um, Feeding the 5,000, or water into wine, or that kind of thing, you know, not to specific healings, but kind of other works of power. If you look at where they happen, that's even more interesting. You can see uh, that, again, they were traveling on a mountain whilst walking on the beach out in the countryside at a party. Isn't that interesting? None of those works of power were done in a church or religious setting. Jesus intentionally lived his life and lived out uh, his faith in God and his belief in God in the street, okay, out in his normal workplace, out in his normal life. Uh, Isn't that interesting? That actually, many of us as Christians, and I find this uh, very challenging, by by which I mean people who are trying to follow Jesus, spend a lot of their time uh, praying for people for healing, uh, praying for works of power, but we spend a lot of our time doing that in church uh, with other people who are following Jesus. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's wrong, and it's a great place to practice. It's a great place to learn. But if we look at Jesus' life, he actually spent most of his time doing that stuff out there. And therefore, uh, if I am, am trying to follow him and trying to, to organise my life so that I'm doing the things that he's doing, I should be looking at how I can do that out there. Does that make sense? And, how, and looking for the opportunities uh, for praying for people and for uh, you know, where Jesus is working out in the community. Um, so it's interesting that um, I'm actually going to these two quotes the second point is that Jesus was very intentional about the way that he created uh, or made followers of him disciples Um, so the first thing is that Jesus' ministry was principally out in the community the second thing is that Jesus was very intentional about the way he made uh, disciples Um, he spent a lot of time with a few people does that make sense? Uh, So he spent plenty of time teaching the crowds, but he also spent a good deal of time with a few people. If you read through uh, the Gospels, large chunks of his teaching are really just aimed at the disciples. Okay, They're they're given to him well, uh, they're given and, and written down accounts of where he was just talking to his disciples. And it's interesting that when Jesus is going about his life, he's picking out people that have a particular impact uh, now have, let's have a look at a couple of stories uh, from his life. Before we do that, I just want to quickly talk about this term disciple. It's kind of a weird word, disciple. Doesn't. What, what do you think of when you think of disciple? Most people think of Peter or John or something like that. Um, they don't necessarily think about us, um, and if they do, uh, for me, I get this idea of being a disciple as someone who wears a little white robe with a little sash and kind of follows a priest around. That's kind of my my kind of uh, thinking immediately when I when I hear that. And I think this is a really good way of putting it: um, to disciple other people, uh, specifically, uh, was to help others understand, apply, and live out Jesus's teachings. It's as simple as that. And to be a disciple. Uh, Dallas Willard puts it like this to progressively rearrange our lives uh, to conform to Jesus' teachings with the intention of being more like him. So, systematically and progressively rearrange our lives to become more like him. Okay, so it's very intentional. And, and to disciple others, which is what Jesus was doing, is to help others understand and apply and live out Jesus' teachings. So, we have a look at how he kind of did that with some of the people that he picked. Let's have a look. So, this guy is the guy who wrote the book of Matthew. Uh, And it's the account of when he uh, uh, actually met the guy who wrote the book, as it were. Uh, So passing along, Jesus saw a man at his work collecting taxes. His name was Matthew. Jesus said, come along with me. Matthew stood up and followed him, left all the money. What would have happened? How did that work exactly? I don't get that. But anyway, it's kind of an interesting point. Um, anyway, Jesus, when he was later eating supper at Matthew's house, so Matthew obviously invited him home, and with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. Okay, so interesting, isn't it, that Matthew is a particular guy in his community. He was clearly a man of influence and he had lots of friends, possibly because he had a ton of money. Who knows? I don't know. But, uh, but he did have an influence in his community. And it's very interesting that when Jesus walks along, he picks Matthew. Do you know what I mean? Out of all the people he could have picked, all of the kind of pick-me type guys, kind of hanging on the edge, hoping that he might point someone out, um, he picked the guy who was very unpopular uh, with all of the people because he was the guy who took all their money and usually took a bit on the side to help himself. Um... But it's also interesting that, that God was working in someone who had a lot of influence. Okay? Often when God is working in community, he's working with people with influence. Okay, And it's interesting uh, that, that one of the things that we need to do as Christians, is to as, as people who follow Jesus, is to uh, be looking out for what God is doing with people. Here's another example. A guy called Zacchaeus. Um, this was a, Jesus going through Jericho. Uh, there was a man there, his name's Zacchaeus. He was the head tax man and quite rich. Okay. He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. He was a short man, couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. When Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is my day to be a guest in your home. Okay, pretty. Just, just picture this for a minute. Guy up a tree... Um, pretty short, pretty ungainly for him. Most people, well, pretty much all of the people in the crowd would have known exactly who he was and possibly were even moving away from the tree so they didn't have to be near him, okay, or be associated in any way with what he was doing or saying. This man was the head tax man in the community. If the tax were despised, the head tax man was even more despised. Okay, he was a chief tax collector, an important man, uh, you working with the Romans, so therefore a collaborator with the oppression in order to, uh, uh, to extract money from the Jews. Deeply, deeply unpopular man. Very strong, bad reputation. Um, it goes on, Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted to take Jesus home with him. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes the people that we least expect to be interested in God and God working in them are the very people whom God is working in. Isn't that interesting? Everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumped. What business does he have getting cosy with the crook? Uh, that's, this is the message translation in case you hadn't figured it out. Um, I love it, it's great. Uh, and then Zacchaeus just stood there a little stunned and he stammered apologetically, Master, interesting choice of words, I give away half my income to the poor and if I'm caught cheating I pay four times the damages. I first heard that story in Sunday school when I was about six. I drew pictures of trees and little men in them, um, in bad colouring, probably, and handed them proudly to my parents, who promptly threw them away. Probably, I don't know. Um, but of course, they didn't. I, you know, maybe not. But, um, but uh, the, um, uh, the story, this story, runs deep in my psyche. Okay, I know it really, really well. Many of us know this story who've been around church know it really, really well. Let's just think about it for a minute. This is an incredible story. This is an incredible story of grace and redemption of someone who was very unlikely, but also who had a huge impact. Can you imagine what that would have done to the community had his, half of his income suddenly been made available? That's, that's a significant thing to cheer about if you're poor and destitute in Jericho. This man probably owned quite a lot of Jericho, I don't know, but you know, there's a sense that he was a rich man. It would have made a significant difference to, to people's lives who was there. And if he was caught cheating, he was going to pay four times the damages. This could have bankrupted the guy. You know, the tax letters were known to be cheats. Okay? He would probably have had a queue the next day of people who were asking him for money back, four times their money back. Okay? This would have really shaken up the community. It might have even have transformed the whole economy of the community. Does that make sense? This is an incredible story where Jesus, all Jesus did was look, see what God was doing, and said, ah, I'm going to go to your house. And God gave him his name, uh, supernaturally with a, by a word of knowledge, and he said, yep, I'm coming to your house. That's all he did. Let us not forget the power that we have to make a difference for good in our community. Because we are, have Jesus, because we are trying to follow Jesus, if we follow Jesus out into the community, imagine the impact. Imagine the impact that we can have as people. Just us. Just Listening to God and trying to do stuff. This stuff is not hard. This is not for advanced Christians. You know. This is not for people who have been through uh, six uh, courses of discipleship in order to be able to do it. You can do this day one after you know, trying to follow Jesus. Or you can read the stuff he did and try and watch what he's doing and try and do it. Um, small small action on Jesus's part huge huge impact because Jesus always seemed to work for impact he was always listening to God what God was doing um now, he actually lets in on the secret of how to do this stuff. If I look at the next passage, this is a little bit from a different book about Jesus' life called Luke, which, where he was talking about what the disciples should do when they go visit, visiting towns. He was sending them out to kind of practice doing what he was doing. So we obviously want to pay attention to what he was saying. And I know that Paul is going to talk a little bit more about this in a couple of weeks. So one of the things that he said is, when you're going from town to town, don't loiter and make small talk with everyone you meet, i.e. I, be intentional. When you go into a home... Enter, the, uh, enter and greet the family and say, peace. Or basically, peace be to this house. That kind of thing. Um, you know, Give a friendly greeting, effectively. Um, if your greeting is received, it's a good place to stay. If it's not received, take it back and get out. Don't impose yourself. Isn't that interesting? So Jesus is letting us in on the secret of what he was doing. So when he, was coming, when he was walking around and being intentional about who he was doing, not loitering and chatting to people, when he saw Zacchaeus, he was saying, hey, I'd like to come to your house, in the same way that he was describing to his disciples what he should do. Now, do you think his greeting was received by Zacchaeus? Absolutely. If it hadn't been, he'd have said, okay, and walked along, because that's what he was telling his disciples to do. Does that make sense? Again, we're not... Uh, we're not here in order to try and strong arm everybody um, to to accept our line of thinking. We're here to offer peace. We're here to offer Jesus to people. If they're not interested, that's fine. That's up to them. We walk away. Um, that's what Jesus' specific instructions to us were. Okay? It doesn't get much clearer, so therefore be, be re- released from that <laughs> feeling of trying to save the world. Okay, Let's simply intentionally ask God, who am my... Various communities, who in our various communities is ready for me to talk to them about Jesus? And if you're not sure, then just ask him until you are sure and then just you know, bring it up. Um, now, if there's nobody, then maybe go and find a new community. Maybe go and join a different club or, um, you know, I don't know, go and find something else you like to do. Uh, if you don't want always wanted to take up running, take up running and go and meet some people there and just ask God, what's going on? You know, what's going on here? What are you doing here? Because God is working everywhere. Jesus talked to us about that too. Okay, so specifically with this training, I'd love to invite Emmaus up here um, with Paul. They're going to talk a little bit, I know many of you have heard about what's been going on uh, in Ethiopia and uh, Paul and Emmaus are going to talk a little bit about how they're doing this kind of thing and training people to do this uh, in their community.
1: Is this on? Yeah. Yeah, if you've been coming to the Sunday services over the last few months, you would have heard me share just some stories from my time in Ethiopia and it's a great pleasure to introduce Ermias, my friend from Ethiopia. Now, Ermias, um, what do you do in Ethiopia?
2: Thank you. Um, uh, we are seeking uh, to see Muslim people group called the uh, Harargeo Romos, to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there are about five to six million people who are very soft, open, and traditional. So I like to see that happen. So uh, how are you trying to do this? well we uh last year and before last year actually we got together some 44 uh christian background believers and the muslim background believers of jesus uh trained them uh in the great commission of matthew 28:19 to 20 and also luke 10:1 to 11 uh actually in the morning uh for 4 weeks and then every afternoon we sent them out two by two, uh, these people gi- just uh, gave us two years commitment uh, in meeting up them with, uh, with them every two weeks to encourage them and then coach them and mentor them.
1: Like you said, you've done this before, but this year um, it was particularly successful. What did you do different? Uh,
2: actually, this year we changed the way we did last year. Uh, so, uh, rather than just giving them a lot of uh, classroom instructions before sending them out, uh, we gave them some trainings in the in the morning, and then send them out two by two. Uh, and uh, when they came back uh, late afternoon, we just uh, feedback and uh, just encourage them where they need encouragement, uh, and also challenge them uh in a way uh it should uh, get ch- some challenges if they uh, we they need challenges yeah
1: and you also changed some of the emphasis in the training tell me about that
2: uh well uh, there are many many things that, that we changed but uh the things that really we gave emphasis uh, uh during this time is um um uh, we gave a lot of more emphasis in prayer uh, so the people like paul uh, train them in listening prayer and, uh, at every stage or, uh, of the day and the training we pray, uh, we were praying. We also emphasize that, uh, the key, uh, to reach these people, uh, community was finding a person of peace and then through this person of discipling the person of peace, uh, to lead the community to come to the Lord Jesus, uh, the savior. Uh, that was rather than reaching random individuals and uh, starting sharing Jesus with them, uh, resulting uh, in secret, uh, isolated and uh, uh, underground believers.
1: To finish, why don't you just tell us some of the highlights of this training?
2: Uh, well, there are many things that we did, uh, actually. Uh, there are highlights, but to use the time efficiently uh we were baptizing 26 muslim background uh actually uh, or almost, that were uh around the training we also have two sheiks uh, that is uh, actually people who were leading mosques who were following uh who are following jesus uh, there were also a man who were who was uh, actually Tim first found him, the, he was chained up together, uh, his legs and his hands. Uh, he was so wild, but now he, his mind is restored and he's uh, following Jesus. Uh, and there are other <laughs> things. Actually,
1: Thank you, Hermes. Um, at the end, it'd be great that he, he flies out this afternoon and it'd be great um, if some people can come and um, pray for him. Um, I'll share more stories probably next week or the following week. And if you want to hear more stories, he spoke on Tuesday and we got a recording um, for that. So back. Yeah, there's a link on Facebook and also on ePress. there's a link as well.
0: Thanks, Paul. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, fine. Okay. Isn't that great? I love hearing those stories. These guys, and it's interesting how they, they, instead of... Shifting what they were doing to picking random people, which is which is what I often do. Oh, well, maybe I should talk to this person or this person. Just asking God, who's open? Who who is the person who who's ready? And just speaking to them. Imagine the the, the difference that that could make. And that's certainly what what's happened. Uh, the the third thing I just want to mention briefly, and I mentioned it at the beginning, is that Jesus specifically didn't do anything that God wasn't already doing. And I've kind of mentioned this already. He allowed the Father to work. Um, He said uh, quite explicitly, Jesus explained himself at length in John 5, uh, I'm telling you this straight, the Son can't independently do a thing. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Okay, that's quite a strong statement. And again, if you've been around for a little while, you might know that statement. But if Jesus only did what he saw God doing, how much more should I only do what I see God doing? Do you know what I mean? Um, so, so just to kind of reinforce that, uh, it's very easy to kind of pick people randomly, or not to, or to really know, want to do that, and then not do anything. But rather than just looking for the people who are ready. Um, So uh, again, even with the claims about himself, when Jesus was asking his disciples who they thought he was, and Simon Peter ends up saying, you are the Messiah, effectively, uh, in Matthew 16, uh, Jesus came back, but God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah, you didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers, my father in heaven, God himself let you in on this secret. Interesting, isn't it? You'd have thought that one of the first things that Jesus would have done for any people who were kind of tagging along with him were to explain exactly why he was here and what they were doing. Casting the vision. Do you know what I mean? But, but he didn't do that. He, he, let, he allowed the Father in heaven to reveal to his disciples who he was. Okay, we don't need to work very hard to convince people of what Jesus is doing. Sure, we can talk to them and discuss things and try and unpack what's going on. But to try to convince somebody that Jesus is a real, alive, true person whose way is worth following, it, Jesus relied on the Father to do that. So so should we. Does that make sense? So we, we work with the Holy Spirit. We don't make this stuff happen. Um, do you want to see a picture of my vegetable garden this year? It's a, I, I, I'm, I, I just want to show this to you, okay? This is—I'm, you know—I have a lot of emotion. I feel a lot of emotion about my vegetable garden. Do you want to see it? Here we go. <laughs> In previous years, it's been a lot better than this. <laughs> so, so I intentionally put some pots out. <laughs> and put some tomatoes in them. Unfortunately, I was less intentional about the watering and the, um, the caring, especially over the heat, away, and this is what happened. Um, my point is, is that I cannot make any of these plants grow. Okay? I could never make them grow. I can't make tomatoes appear. Um, you know, what I can do is be intentional about creating an environment in which they can grow. Basically, I've done just a poor job of doing that. I had a propagator and everything, but, you know, never mind. Um, it, it was just, yeah, I did a poor job of it. What can I say? I wasn't intentional enough. Um, but equally, I could never have made it happen. All I could have done was created an environment where those plants could flourish. Does that make sense? So in the same way, uh, I could never make someone believe in Jesus. All I can do is create an environment where the faith in Jesus through the Holy Spirit teaching people can flourish. Does that make sense? The flip side of that is if I'm not intentional about creating that environment, then it may not happen. Does that make sense? Okay, but we're not doing the work. Have I made that point? I think I have. So God transforms communities. We get to join in. It's as simple as that. And equally, if we can succeed in reaching people without God's involvement, we have already failed. Because if all of our man-made strategies can get somebody along to church, and if God's not working in their life, then that doesn't sound like it's it's worked. Does that make sense? Okay? So what I'm talking about is not an evangelization strategy. Okay? I'm not looking to make conquests. What we're trying to do is be intentional about living our lives as Jesus did and strategic about creating an environment for the Father to work in people's hearts. Okay? So how are we doing that? I gave, a, I gave a definition of disciple earlier. For those of us who are trying to follow Jesus, and if, if you are not quite in that place yet, if you're kind of on a journey just learning about him, you are very welcome. Come and listen, come and hear more, come and find out more. You're so welcome. For those of us who are trying to follow Jesus and trying to rearrange our lives systematically so that we can follow him, how are we intentionally allowing the Father to reach people through us? In what ways are we systematically rearranging our lives so that God can work through us? It's challenging, isn't it? I'm, I'm feeling challenged just by saying it. <laughs> and The fourth thing I want to say very quickly is that Jesus set people free from onerous religious practices. And again here, I'm specifically talking to those of us who've been around a little while, who've been around church specifically a little while. Okay, Religion is defined as a particular system of faith and worship. Okay. So in some ways, a system of faith and worship is a good thing. It allows us to, to gather together as people, uh, which, which have very good reasons. Uh, we sing songs together. There are very good reasons for doing that. Okay, um, Now, Jesus, when he was talking to the uh, people, he was pretty hard on the religious practices of the day, wasn't he? He was quite tough on the religious leaders specifically. Um, he wasn't tough on... The, on some parts of it, the kind of the stuff that was there for good reasons, but he was tough on the extra stuff around the edges, especially when people imposed that on other people and used it as a stick to beat other people over the head with. Does that make sense? He was very tough on that stuff. Very, very tough. Um, and he was talking uh, mostly about setting people free from that onerous oppression to having to do certain things in order to get to God. Does that make sense? Um, so now, in this church, we aren't religious, are we? We don't have many religion things that we do. Religion is kind of the domain of the Anglicans in their stone churches. Is that right? Is that, that's what they do. We're, we're not religious. Um, I'm going to say a few controversial things in a row here and, and pretend that that's okay, if that's all right. Um, I would say that, that, um, that quite a lot of what we do here can be a little bit religious, Okay. Uh, we do worship, then we do teaching, then we do ministry, all in order. We kind of stand up and we sing songs on a screen and we have a band. We do those things every week. I'm not saying that those things are wrong. They're not wrong. They're just not in the Bible particularly and they're not particularly necessary. You know, the, the, the important thing is following Jesus. How we follow Jesus as a community is the forms that we take. Okay? But we must never take too much pride in them and crucially... It's very important that we don't impose them on people who are trying to follow Jesus uh, in order for them to kind of jump through a hoop or two. Does that make sense? Um, Christian missionaries in over hundreds of years doing very good work found this to their detriment, that if they try and impose their culture and way of doing church on people, it didn't really work. But as soon as you just talk about Jesus, it's much easier. Because ultimately, him... And, and everything that he stands for, his teaching and his claims, is enough. Okay, all of this stuff we do, great as it might be, is not that. And we, we have to be very careful, um, because Jesus set people free from rules and regulations. Let's not impose more rules and regulations on people coming to church. Okay? We try and create as many different ways for people to meet Jesus as possible. Some people, that may, they may find this environment very difficult. They find it just a bit weird and want to go, you know, to a slightly different environment, or, or maybe just want to meet with a smaller group or a bigger group. That is okay, okay. Which is why, when Paul was talking last week about getting people along to church as our goal, we're kind of limiting what can happen, because you're kind of assuming that people need to to kind of get something out of this particular experience in order to meet Jesus. So, maybe our goal is not necessarily to get people to church. And notice Jesus never invited anyone to church or to the synagogue, interestingly. He only ever told someone to go and see a priest, but for a different reason. Interesting, that, isn't it? He met people where they were at, out in the community. Interesting. Um, in the same way, and this is the last thing I want to say because I'm running out of time. Um, and again, this is another one of those controversial things in a row. I, I, I don't really, I find the word Christian difficult. I don't know about you. I find people often make assumptions about me when I call myself a Christian. They assume that I'm, I think a certain way or I believe uh, maybe what, the, what people in a different country believe about Christianity or, or what they hear on the media or on TV about what Christians are and, are, and aren't. Um, I don't know about you, but I find, I find that difficult. And also, when I call myself a Christian, sometimes people ask me to defend creationism or, or, or fight against evolution or assume I want to do that or uh, denounce Islam or atheism or, or what, all of those things. Okay? I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to fight those battles. You know, those aren't my battles to fight. So what I tend to say these days is that I'm trying to follow Jesus. If I call myself a Christian, it just gains, gains too many assumptions. And people think, oh, yeah, that's nice for you. You go and do your Christian religious thing in your corner. When I say I'm trying to follow Jesus, oh, yeah, Jesus, I'm quite interested in what you have to say. You know, there are many people who are not, would never call themselves Christians, but are quite interested in Jesus. And there are many people who would call themselves Christians, but aren't following Jesus, sadly. Um, Let's try and follow Jesus. It's much better, it's much more fun. So, so yeah. So I, I, for the last couple of years, have not called myself a Christian, and I no longer call myself a Christian in that sense. I just simply say I'm trying to follow Jesus. Okay, does that make sense? Um, now, of course, uh, that that is actually a bit harder for me. Um, I, I, I'm just what I'm doing is I'm taking a word which ultimately isn't, you know, isn't really mentioned in the Bible, and I'm setting it aside for myself in order that I may try and get to what was behind that in the first place. Does that make sense? okay? So I'm aware that that's controversial, and I'm going to leave it with you to think about. Um, But just to kind of sum up, um, I know that many of us are already doing this, okay? Um, But I just encourage us to to behave as Jesus did. Um, Ask God who he wants us to spend time with. Could be anyone in our various communities, like Emmaus was talking about, people of peace. Um, Who is God wanting us to spend time with? Um, And simply love them, get to know them, Share what you love with those you love. I was talking about that a couple of weeks back. Uh, The people that we love, we want to share good things with. If we love Jesus and we love people, we just share it with them naturally. And Be ready to pray for the sick as Jesus was. And also, if they're interested in learning more, just spend time with people learning about Jesus together. If uh, you want some help with that, if you wanted to grab a few people together in your home just to talk through about uh, ideas for Jesus, uh, Paul and I have got some material, which is very simple material that allows you, and some simple resources to help you run an informal. A group looking at, just very simply looking at Jesus, uh, if you haven't got any kind of church background and are not sure, specifically if you're not sure about Christianity. Does that make sense? So if you're in that position, come and talk to us and we can help you further. But, but if you're not at that point, uh, the, the starting point is simply to ask God what he's doing. That's what Jesus did. Ask God what is going on in your communities and just join him with that. It's, it's that simple and it is that complicated that's all i got should we stand i've said a lot of different things some of you might need some time to process and think about that let's just spend a, a minute or two in quiet just uh asking god what he's saying to us through this what what specifically is he doing in our hearts so holy spirit come Come and teach us your words, not my words, but your words, Lord.